0: Because there's just nothing better than this. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off. Right now? Right now. No, no, I don't know. You said. Cock-a-doodle-doo, Bob. Oh, yeah. Direct from rivals in Yahoo Sports, this this is the Trojansports.com podcast. For a USA
1: touchdown.
0: With Trojan Sports publisher, Chris P. Swanson. Move on. You love
1: 33. You better cut that out, man. I swear. That better, I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. the. the oh, okay
0: beat reporter adam j maya here we go yeah. we start yeah. as- it's the weekly radio show you need for everything usc Is you that your first joke the kids are back that's really a good one follow trojansports.com on twitter at usc underscore rivals the trojansports.com podcast kicks off now
1: Welcome back to another edition of the Trojansports.com podcast. I'm your host, the publisher of Trojansports.com, Chris Swanson. I'm here with the greatest beat writer in the world, Adam yeah. Maya. Don't do that. Okay. Do you want me to start over?
0: No, I, I was being funny. You could...
1: Oh, you're being I can't tell. I thought you wanted me to edit myself. My apologies, Adam. I need to learn how to take a joke.
0: Adam, everything's
1: going great in the land of USC. Right now at this. Oh, yeah. Are we sure? 12 game winning streak. uh, Another win at home. They're undefeated in the top five. Everything's going fine. Uh, So, yeah. Get on the message board. Have that conversation because that's what everybody's talking about right now.
0: I think because it's been a while where USC opened a year cleanly and was unbeaten through September. It actually hasn't happened since 2010. They haven't made it through the first week of October unbeaten since 2006. So 3-0, I think USC fans will take it however they can get it.
1: Some will and some won't. That's what I've kind of learned uh, watching the Trojansports.com message board. If you're not on there, by the way, you should get on there and talk with with all the USC fans because lively conversation during and after this Texas game uh interesting stuff also a lot of great content i
0: think clay helton he, got fired like in the third he quarter. did
1: <laughs> he did there's a 60 response thread about how clay helton's done and uh on a win streak by the way as i mentioned before so get on there and talk about it and lots of great content from this game from recent recruiting news and high school football games all sorts of stuff there's lots of reasons to be on trojansports.com so before we really dive into everything just want to say get on there and sign up and if you are a member, you, uh, you already know. And you were caught up on this, uh, this thrilling overtime victory over Texas. Which, Adam, I guess we'll just jump right into it right now. I think they were bailed out by Sam Darnold again. Not to mention a gutsy kick. Two gutsy kicks, actually, from a freshman walk-on kicker and now superhero Chase McGrath. What, what did you think? What was going through your mind as USC was struggling with the Texas team that, uh, that I think many people expected USC to blow out?
0: Yeah, it, it did not go the way I thought it would. Really, none of the games have. I've just been <laughs> wrong every week, so I, I hope you're not taking my prediction to guide your betting. But in the fourth quarter, I'm on the field. USC <laughs> clinging to a lead that they've had the entire game, basically. And I expected Texas to go ahead. I did see that coming. We've seen this defense before where it tires. And they were excellent. I'm not trying to put this game on them by any means. I think that lack of rotating, that lack of experience from their reserves when they do get in the game, is really haunting them in the fourth quarter. I think they were burned out. And... Sure enough, they give up the the go-ahead touchdown drive, a long one. I got this guy next to Vince Young for the majority of it. He's a a character, for sure. And Matthew McConaughey, there were a lot of people there. Uh, Roger Clemens, I don't know if anybody even noted that, but I got a photo of him. um, Because I could tell he didn't want to be photographed, so I just shot it anyway. What do I care? But I expected Texas to go ahead, and I kept looking at the clock. After every play as they were driving, because I'm basically trying to figure out whether Darnold would have enough time. And before that kickoff, there were 45 seconds left, and I thought, yeah, he'll, he'll do it. They didn't even have, you had no timeouts, they, they were mismanaged. And I still thought, because of the first down rule in college football, Darnold can get down there and at least get the field goal. But I thought he probably will get the touchdown, and then they lost six seconds on the kickoff. But they were out in the thirty-five, so I felt like okay, that was a good trade-off. Thirty-nine seconds from your own thirty-five, I still thought he's doing this, and he did it. Right? He did it. He got down inside the red zone. I, I'm, I'm amazed, and yet, like I expected to be amazed. I, I don't know how better to describe sam darnold but he does exactly what you expect him to do which is essentially be perfect so that i'm just i guess i'm grateful to see what i'm seeing up close from him i think he's a comet and he's gonna blow right past us in a short matter of time and we have to soak up every moment of it I think that they would have scored a touchdown if given Mitchell had gotten out of bounds. That was the play that kind of really flummoxed me, and I got to talk to Mitchell about it because he's a good kid, and I just want to know okay what what happened there i I know you know better, and I think it makes sense now after hearing him explain it um, before I get into that what What did you think about that sequence?
1: the the final drive their final In drive regulation down the, uh when they got the ball i expected them to tie it i didn't think there was enough time that uh i was i was expecting a touchdown but i knew they were going to score because they have sam darnold and i know that they didn't score that whole game and i know that the offensive line had trouble protecting him but are you really going to stop this guy from getting, you know, into field goal range, you know, another 40 yards or whatever else in 40 something seconds when they're going to use four downs. And it was no. And uh, so I totally expected them to drive right down the field and, you know, to have a chance to to tie it up with a field goal. Uh, Steven Mitchell's, you know, I, indecision, I think, is what i call it right on the sideline. It surprised me because I expect he looked to me like he was running towards the sideline and that he was going to go right out of bounds. And then it, it kind of looked like maybe he was trying to score or something. I thought that maybe he had to. I don't know. But it seemed like he kind of turned an angle at the last second. It's like a split-second decision uh, to try to, you know, get to the end zone or something.
0: Yeah, and, yeah he was caught uh, off guard. That's what happened.
1: A, it surprised me to see that happen. I don't know if he wasn't aware of the clock or what was going on, but no. um,
0: he knew the clock.
1: Yeah, I just I expected, you know, besides that last that, you know, him not stepping out of bounds. I expected them to go right down the field, and have a chance to kick that field goal.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, 45 seconds is too much time for Sam Darnold. You know, and uh, it, it, it honestly, it, it, it just kind of made me think of Vince Young having time and, you know, even more so, honestly because it feels like uh, he might even be more dangerous. I know, yeah, he can move crazy. it quicker.
0: Yeah, way yeah. better thrower.
1: Yeah. So, uh, completely expected it to end the way that it did. When it went to overtime, I expected USC to win, because I don't think you stopped Sam Darnold on a 25-yard field. I think he's scoring every time. And I thought Texas could score, too, but I figured they would make a mistake before Sam Darnold would. And at that point, USC's offense was Sam Darnold and not much else. So um yeah the end of the game went exactly how i expected it to after watching the rest of the game which went nothing like how i expected it to Mm -hmm.
0: so it's 17 14 late in regulation donald has the ball and i didn't even remember the fact that usc had been shut out the entire half No, i just figured this kid's gonna move it down the field and get them in the field goal range because they're relying on a walk-on true freshman kicker, who has only attempted one kick and he missed it earlier in the game, Donald knows that he's got to get it up close. It can't be a, even like a forty-yarder at that point. You don't want to do that. So, I believed that he would get them into, you know, that scoring zone. You know, even within the red zone. So I bring up a Mitchell play because it ended up not mattering but it really could have uh, if they missed a field goal then we're looking at that play uh, because I think that it kept them out of the end zone I think they scored a touchdown had he it had he just gone out of bounds so oh, I want to share this because I'm sure a lot of people were upset and angry and confused and I definitely felt the latter I, I didn't get what was happening I talked to Mitchell about it, and he made the point that I caught in the middle of the field, and there was no one around. And it's shocking. It caught him off guard. Because he's trained, actually, to get the first down. Like, to go down immediately. It, it, thinking that there'd be a defender right there. He's supposed to catch it, and basically sit on it right there. Somewhat like we saw from Juju a year ago, versus Colorado. Something like that, where you know, you got to stop the clock. They don't have any timeouts. He wasn't going to score from that point in the, in the field. He still, I believe, it was about, you know, 30 yards out. But he's alone. So he just starts running, and he headed to the sideline. And he's still got no one there. There's still no one um, close to him, and, and no one threatening to tackle him. And then he sees a defender coming, and is thinking like, okay, I can actually cut. I can, I, I can pretend like I'm going out of bounds and I can cut it back in. And he slipped. And so he ended up making a costly mistake. He just didn't commit to what he was going to do. There was too much indecision. And, again, it all worked out. But um, I'm still fascinated by that moment because I think we were kind of robbed of Darnold scoring the go-ahead touchdown in regulation. I believe he doesn't, because if Mitchell gets out of bounds, let's say with about 17 seconds left, he ended up going down at 14. But remember, the clock is in the run once they set the ball. And so what ended up happening is USC's a little bit rushed. They go to the line of scrimmage, and then they have to run this quick play. The clock runs off a couple seconds, and then John ended up getting pressured and threw it you know, to the right side, incomplete. And there were eight seconds left. So it was just a very unproductive play. But if Mitchell goes out of bounds, they can regain their composure. They can walk up to the line. They have some time, they have some time to, to figure things out. And he doesn't have to work the boundary. He can actually work the middle of the field again. You know, they would have been around the 15-yard line. They were at the 13-yard line, but let's say Mitchell goes out of bounds about the 15-yard line with 17 seconds left then he can work the middle of the field because with that much time, you don't have to get the first down. You want to. But you can really work the entire field because even if you get only 7-8 yards with 17 seconds, you can run over there on like a 6-7 second play and then go spike it. It's second down. And you spike it. And it's third down. And then you can set it for that field goal. You're You're close. It's a chip shot. So I think... Because he didn't get out of bounds, it forced them into a bit of a panic mode and they have to work the boundary and it's crowded. And then we saw Darnold throw incomplete on back-to-back play because he can only use about a third of the field and then they have to kick a field goal. But it was spectacular. You don't always feel a lot in a lot of these games from our vantage point in the media. And in that game, like your heart is racing. You just don't know what's going to happen. There's so much on the line. If USC loses, they're not out of the national title picture completely, but I think there's no margin for error. They have to win out. They couldn't afford another loss. It just would have been a bad loss to take at home versus a rebuilding Texas team, who very well could be better than we thought. That's fine, but when you're a double-digit favorite and you have the best player in America at quarterback, and you're going against another inexperienced quarterback, you win that game. If you're a, if you're a national title contender, and I think USC was very fortunate.
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, they scored in the last 45 seconds to send it into overtime. Definitely fortunate. What I like about your reporting, though, Adam, Maya, and, and your commentary, is that when I ask you about the game, you're like, let's skip the first, you know, three quarters and 98% of the fourth quarter, because that wasn't good football. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> it, was, it was bad football. A lot of that, the end of that game.
0: It was the best was bad game excited. that I've ever been to.
1: Yes. So my mom texted me and was like that game was very exciting and it was a very mom thing and i know she's listening i love you mom it's a very mom thing to text because the end of that game was very exciting it was the rest of that game oh my goodness a terrible football game yeah not my, worthy of usc texas honestly my,
0: my mother texts me too actually
1: oh really yeah let's, she share, let's share our mother stories
0: she said this game is killing me
1: <laughs>
0: this <was> in overtime <laughs> And then I just told her, you know, they're very fortunate. And then she told me, no kidding. My mom knows better. Oh, my mom was
1: cheering for USC.
0: Yeah, well, my mom was too. But she just knows that USC was very fortunate. And I don't think that you can live like that week to week. I do think that in the course of a season, you're going to have a game like that. Clay Hill can make that point after the game. I wouldn't call it coach speak. I I totally agree with them. I saw that in the national title runs under Carroll where there were a couple games like that where they knew they shouldn't have been like that. They didn't play near to their standard, but you just win. And they get it. But because of the way that they played in the opener now, who is this team? They've been three different teams through three games.
1: Yeah, they have been, and and it seems like we've been wrong about them every week, but somehow, <laughs> no, but somehow, I really think they are what we thought they were
0: before like the and season. And no, 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 no,
1: no, I'm not talking about record. I honestly, I think they they could still very well go undefeated, uh, just looking at the schedule. Um, I know we've been off on these games, but looking at their roster, I feel like if you listen to the show before the season started, we pretty much nailed everything i mean uh the stanford game made us feel like we were wrong about all of that because everybody played so well but i mean you look at their offensive line they lost one tackle and it and it became a disaster
0: yeah and
1: we've been kind of beating that drum you know i guess ever since last season ended was that you know, their interior of the offensive line looks pretty good. Uh, and their starters look pretty good. But if they lose a tackle, something happens, their depth there, it, it could get really bad. It got bad. Um, they, they'll be fine with their starting five, I think, with the schedule. It, but it seems like they could have those issues. Um, the receivers. You know, caused a lot of issues again. It looks like they don't have that top level flight, you know, top flight level guy that we talked about, that NFL type guy. Or, you know, it, it, maybe if they had just another Deontay Burnett, they'd be fine. Yeah, like, but, yeah let's,
0: let, I'm going to say I'm wrong about Deontay, even though I've been beating his drum and saying that he's underrated. And I always expected him to be better than what maybe the expectations were coming into his career. But he's still proving that he's better than yeah. we thought.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, he Every is. He's ju- I
0: didn't see him being like a feature guy week in and week out. He's doing yeah. it. He's number one. No, he is. He's fine. He. The way he's, the le- he's playing at Juju's level, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not calling him Juju. I'm not saying he'll go in the second round. But this is Juju's production. Yeah. Look at his last four games, and that's, that surpassed Juju in some respects.
1: Yeah. So they they okay. So they need more of those. I guess it's fair to say. Well, so, okay. Here's we,
0: the problem. Okay, I, I don't know if you know this. Rojo is third in receiving, and Carr is fourth.
1: Yeah, that's not. I'm, good. Gonna, I'm gonna repeat
0: that. Okay, Rojo is third on the team in receiving. Rojo, Ronald Jones, receiving. He's third. he plays
1: running back. Everyone, no, not, not, in case, just, you're, not just not yeah. just gonna play for
0: running back, but here's someone who's had to have a dramatic makeover in terms of what he can do out of the backfield as a receiver. It's been a long time coming for him. He's third, and it's really because of that play at the end of the second half. It was a 56-yard touchdown. Awesome play by him and Darnold. He's third, basically because of that one play. And then Carr is fourth. Carr is a much more natural receiver Coming out of the backfield, but they're, they're third and fourth. Mitchell's second. Mitchell's been fine, but Rojo and Carr should not be third and fourth. And then Tyler Pacheco is fifth. It's not a receiver; it's another tight end. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a that. So the, this receiving core nearly cost them this game.
1: Oh, definitely. We've been
0: questioning it now for months. And it actually nearly cost them a game.
1: Yeah, because once they couldn't run the ball, right? They and, needed th- them. Yeah, you know, they needed them to step up. You can't
0: put that game on the defense, obviously. No, not on Darnold. not on Rojo and Carr. Offensive line was not great. They weren't a train wreck. They weren't great, but it, it wasn't like the worst we would seen them in some time or anything like that. They've been worse. They they just weren't very good. The receivers were a nightmare. Yeah. They were so bad that they almost lost this game.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So I I felt like we, you know, it made me feel like we were pretty right on uh, with some of these position groups. Uh, I also also felt like Texas just, you know, even though they're not a ranked team and, you know, probably... uh, not one of the most talented teams in the country. Maybe they are. I don't know. They recruit well or whatever, but it just felt like that USC's talent level didn't seem so unstoppable anymore when when they were up against this Texas team that also recruits at a high level nationally. Now USC does have some players, obviously, right? Sam Darnold's a freak, but it just felt like I looked at Texas's receiving core. I know we've been talking about the receivers. I felt like, oh, like you know they they have a Maybe like a, a top-end receiver that I think USC would really want. I know USC recruited him, and the receiving core is better than USC's. And uh, Texas's secondary, uh, you know, looked just as good. And USC's defense is good; they played a good game. We've been we've been talking them up for a long time, but it just felt like, even though Texas's defense, you know, they gave up 50 points to Maryland, right? They didn't seem that good coming into the game. It seemed like talent-wise, they were right there. So it just the whole game just kind of felt like an eye-opening experience a little bit, where it just it kind of felt like you know Texas, even though they're not there and they're not the Texas that you know maybe of the past people got to know. It just felt like there wasn't this big talent gap, and it wasn't you know this big blowout that everybody expected. It just felt it felt like a, an experience that it kind of just brought USC back to earth. It kind of felt like I kind of felt like you're more normal. Than you were given credit for after that Stanford game. Hmm. That's really what jumped out to me. I,
0: yeah, the, and that's interesting. I didn't see it that way. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I thought that the physicality that Texas played with was a great equalizer. I think this game ended up being basically what we thought the Stanford game would be.
1: Yes. No. I, I
0: like to a key. Like yeah, that, that's so. exactly what I thought the Stanford game would be, where it'd be very even and either team could win. And, you know, they would would beat them up on the line. And Texas did that. We didn't see it coming from them. We thought it would come the week before. I still think USC has a wealth of talent. I think they were poorly coached. I think Texas ran circles around them in that regard.
1: I do, too. I do, too. I I mean, I looked... (laughs) It was not everything. It wasn't everything that jumped out. But it just seemed to me like... USC has a talented secondary. I think they kind of got beat up a little bit in parts in this game. Uh, but they have a talented secondary. They might be more talented. Not as talented. good as we thought, though. No, no, no. no
0: not no, right I now. Think. I mean... No. I've been singing Jack Jones praises because I like the way he's practiced. And I could like, go off of... He's having a rough time. Yeah. I mean, they... They were ruthless in how they attacked him.
1: Yeah, and and I think, uh, you know, we've been defending Iman Marshall a lot from, you know, the message board, which is ruthless. Uh, (laughs) And I feel like, you know, he's had a lot of good games. I feel like he hasn't been given credit a lot of times, but he played a top-flight college receiver or somebody that looks like that anyway and didn't go his way. He had a bad guy. Yeah. Without question. They both did. Yeah um so I, it just it makes and then when i see texas is secondary which has a lot of athletes as well and it seems like they're you know reaching in there and punching out balls and, and reading passes and getting picks and making plays on tips and they just felt better coached to me it just felt like they took this group of athletes and you took a group of athletes and, and texas did a better job preparing them and i'm not even sure you know if texas has all these nfl guys or whatever in their secondary uh but it just made it, it watch that game it felt like usc might not either or they're not prepared to be um, they just didn't they didn't play as well and we know these names these are you know big time recruits and guys that you know a lot were expected of them i'm sure texas would have uh you know taken a mod marshall in 2015 recruiting class or whatever so it just makes me wonder uh you know, I thought the offense, USC's offensive play calling, we gave them a lot of credit for what they did against Stanford. I, I felt like uh, in this game, it was it was like they were just going to try and try and try, and if it didn't work, it wasn't going to work. You know, um, I'm not sure that's a winning strategy, and to me, that's seems a little bit like a pattern. I know they've had a lot of success, obviously, over the last two years, but it seems like in games where the offense didn't work under T. Martin. Like, it really didn't work, and there was no changing it. It just wasn't going to work. Now, I understand that sometimes, right, the opposing defense is just better, or you're not going to score, or whatever else. But I just wonder, because it felt to me like you know, with their run game, uh, it's just constantly trying to go, you know, up the middle, and it wasn't there. And um, it just felt like there there wasn't any any changes, you know. Like, uh, the inter- Texas was going to give them the intermediate passing game, and, they weren't mm-hmm. scared of it, and they weren't trying to pressure them to do much else. You know, it, maybe they didn't have time because of the pass rush. I don't know. Maybe there are other things going on. But I thought that stood out to me is that I felt like Texas's offense, while it was inept, would try things to move the ball, try different things, and USC was just like, this is what USC is. This is what we're doing. If it works, it works. So, I don't know. That's the impression I got.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. It comes back to the receivers. <laughs> They can't get separation. They can't win 50 50s Juju and Darius, neither of which were especially fast, were usually pretty excellent in that regard. And then we have a quarterback like Darnold who can throw you open, throw into a tight window. The touchdown that he threw to Giante in the back of the end zone, because he's the one earlier in the game, it reminded me of Ben Roethlisberger to San Antonio Holmes At the end of the Super Bowl versus Arizona. Where you shouldn't even make that play. I mean, that throw is impossible. That catch is impossible. And yet, they can do it. You just don't see that. Turn on the TV this Sunday. You're not seeing that play. They're at another level in that regard. The two of them, their chemistry, their rapport. But that's what it takes. It takes that kind of play... That really only Giante is in the make right now for USC. But if you notice, a lot of what Donald was able to do when he was able to move down the field, either a guy was like wide open, coming over the middle, like you stuck underneath, or it was incomplete, or it was dropped. So a lot of drops again. But he's not able to just lead receivers who have a defender in the neighborhood and complete passes, which again, it's not because he can't do that or he's not making the throw. They're not finishing. They're letting him down. I just... I can't believe that it's just problematic for this group. And it still might be personnel. I think we still need to see more of Tyler Vaughn, more of Joseph Lewis, but there's still too many drops from everyone. They was had a costly one. I think everything comes back to them right now because it allowed. Take this game for instance. Because Texas felt confident playing them man, they could load the box, and they shut down the run. And we know it's not because of Rojo and Carr. Now the offensive line didn't have their best night, but I don't think they completely collapsed. I don't think they went from being one of looking like one of the better units in the country to being a really really bad one. I think it was the way Texas defended them that made them uncomfortable, and what their secondary was allowed to get, was able to do because of these receivers and also the play calling. They went 0-3 on 4th down. And at least two of them, I recall, the, the routes were designed before the marker. It was like 4th and short. And you have these receivers running inside, you little quick inside routes before the marker on like a 4th and 5. What are you doing? What is that? And they were really bad on 3rd down as well. They they're they're telegraphing Bavai, Molepeai, I don't know if you picked up on that,
1: but yeah, every time he's in, he gets the ball.
0: Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it, they they have packages for him, so <laughs> they they throw that word around. I'm not giving anything away there. That's what they call it. But it, you got to give him the offense. You have to play him, and not not give him the ball, and not. And I draw so much attention to him. I, I really felt like they were giving away what they were doing with him. It, that should be less of a problem with Stephen Carr because it was a in a receiving game. With Rojo, it's always been a bit of an issue. And it, it basically was in this game as well. Um, he had the one catch on the faux Hail Mary, which I gave credit to Key Martin initially. I thought that was just a brilliant idea because it was such a difficult play to complete at the end of the half. You're basically just throwing in the end zone. And we came to find out that no, Darnold improvised. He didn't feel good about going downfield. He didn't have the time that he needed. So he threw to Rojo about 20 yards downfield. Saw that he just had a lot of green grass and then Rojo did Rojo things and and ran and he got an incredible block from Stephen Mitchell. Wonderful play by the three of them but it's something that uh, they hadn't even practiced. Now it is is part of the play design. You do have that guy underneath but it wasn't something that they had planned or they thought they might do. So Good job by the kids. I think their coaches let them down in this game.
1: Outside of the offensive playing calling, because I was trying to kind of group it all together. We mentioned timeout mismanagement. Yeah. I mentioned special teams very briefly where I just feel like
0: we can talk just, about that.
1: You want to okay, let's dive into that a little bit. Yeah, John Boxer's like, be-
0: skilling money. <laughs> That's what's happening.
1: Well, I'm glad you said it because I've just been making jokes the whole season. So I'm, I'm glad that you finally put it out there. There's nothing about their special teams play that makes me think they even have a special teams coach. I've seen them when they didn't have a special teams coach, right? Or it was like a grad assistant doing it. And I I can't tell that there's a difference. So I don't understand why USC has a special teams coach. I do not understand it. Makes no sense. He's there to pass out scholarships to players that will not play. He's literally taken scholarships away from USC. That's all he's done for them. That's what it seems like to me. Uh they were atrocious in this game. Texas just won that battle. They were just better on special teams. They had a field uh field position advantage all game long. Uh it it jumps out to me. I mean, I don't know what to say. I know the guy has, you know, a resume and at Fresno State, you know, everybody built him up or whatever, but gosh, at least this season it really seems like they're not good on special teams and that's in that column of that we were naming off things you know coaching issues things yeah. places where texas out coached usc you know clock management with the timeouts the the offensive play calls special teams without question
0: there, um, there's no excuse for it they have they have a full roster <laughs> they have 80 recruited kids on scholarship they have one of the most athletic teams in the country so, if the personnel isn't executing, you have to figure, find other guys to do it. Well, but, this, I mean, think of this too.
1: Not just the personnel isn't executing, there aren't big returns, or there's bad field position, or whatever else. I mean, if I remember correctly, Texas ran a fake punt and converted. It was called back because of a penalty. But it's like you have a special teams coach. Is USC even prepared for that fake punt? at that point or they do they even know that that could be coming? Yeah. I feel like if you, you know, if you're coaching staff if you're like we're we're kind of sacrificing special teams, which which teams have done before and I think it works out and I get that. So I would get that you wouldn't be that prepared for that people could catch you off guard whatever. When you have a special teams coach, I feel like you should not be caught off guard by fakes and stuff. It should all be prepared for. And they prepare on special teams so
0: much. They we practice, practice about- more special teams than any team I've covered.
1: So none of it makes sense. And
0: you have more special teams players on scholarship than any team I've covered.
1: Again, none of it makes sense. I don't know what to say. So that's in that column as well. Um, Is there anything else that jumps out to you about the coaching from this game?
0: Mm. I mean, I got Clancy Pendergast was pretty excellent. Yeah, I really believe that that fourth quarter. It, now that that comes back to him in terms of his philosophy and lack of rotating, but game plan wise, I thought he was pretty superb. I,
1: I mean, agree. he couldn't run
0: the ball at all. Yeah, yeah, I and mean, we we saw more pressure. It was probably inconsistent. You know, I mean, the numbers look good because they had five sacks, they had four turnovers, they had ten tackles for loss. It wasn't there all the time, though, clearly, because you saw the plays that the quarterback was able to make and and all the drives he was able to extend.
1: Yeah, I, I will say, though, that Despite all of that, one of my favorite things about the way Clancy Pendergast called this game was that that didn't make him panic, the fact that Texas' quarterback had success and the fact that some of the one-on-one matchups weren't working out in USC's favor uh, in terms of their defensive backfield. I thought he showed uh, incredible poise in his position where I could totally see a defensive coordinator getting nervous and thinking, we have to double team, the, you know, some of these receivers. Or we have to run some different coverages or change what we're doing. Maybe not focus on stopping the run so much to try to take away these deep passes. And he just put his trust in his cornerbacks, and maybe they did get beat up a little bit. They he knew that the, the if they stopped the run, they had a chance to win, and if they went away from that, they could very well lose that game. I thought it was brilliant. He did, he did not panic at all, despite the fact that. Texas was trying to go downfield with the passing game and finding some success. Stuck to yeah. where it was, and they gave up 10 points, really, to Texas. Yeah. Because there was a pick six. I mean, you told if you told me before this game that the defense gave up 10 points to Texas, I would have been like, well, that's going to be an ugly game for Texas. He put the offense in a position to do everything. So I mean, hats yeah. off to Clancy, oh, yeah. I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, they carry... They carried the offense in this game, which is weird to say about a team led by Sam Darnold yeah. when Darnold threw for just under 400 yards. But that's really what happened. I think uh, we finally got to see a couple people who we've been waiting for. Christian Rector had a monster game. I, I didn't realize all of it at the time, but yeah, he, he had did. two and a half tackles for loss, uh, one and a half sacks, he forced a fumble, the, the fumble in overtime. He, he was only playing because Rasheem Green was injured when they should be playing together. And, but yep. you don't, You're not going to know this stuff if you don't throw them out there. You, you don't want to throw them out there at the end of a game in a, in a tight game. I do not get why... These kids don't play more on both sides of the ball in the first half of the game.
1: I don't get it either, uh, because a few years ago it made sense. It was like, oh, they're decimated by the NCAA sanctions and these injuries and their roster's you know, not that good and smaller and they don't have all this talent. And I still don't think they're back to having the super you know, USC rosters that we saw a few, you know, when Carroll was there whatever. But they're good enough to rotate. And doesn't that help your team down the line? So, I mean, like a couple years ago, you know, I would have told myself to be quiet and that Clancy Pendergast knew what he was doing. But the lack of rotation uh, kind of stuns me a bit. You know, I mean, I guess I'd get it if if it didn't happen too much in the secondary uh, because maybe you're so worried about the big play. But up front, you know, and at linebacker, it's just, it feels, it's like those, those... Those guys get beat up. You know, They get, it just, I don't know. It you don't just feels think like connected, it would benefit
0: them. But, hey, isn't, don't you think it might be a bit connected to the injuries? I mean, Porter Augustine we knew, coming up with surgery on Wednesday, screws in his toe. Yeah. He's going. He played basically the whole first half. It's and, insane. And what he kept going, except he might have suffered a bicep tear and had to come out of the game. And then the screws were coming loose in his toe. And he's dealing with a shoulder as well. But he's playing until he literally cannot play at all. Rasheem Green. Never comes off the field until he's injured. Cameron Smith. Dislocated finger. finishes the game. John Houston. He didn't play. Marlon Chuli-Polotu's not playing right now. That's going to be a problem. Because... Yeah. <laughs> Not only are these some of their better players on defense, but you just have no idea what's behind them. They might be good. They might not be good. But we don't know, but neither do they, meaning the staff. They don't know. If they if they knew Christian Rector would do that, he would have been playing. But they don't know that because they don't play him. Yeah. There, there are other guys like that, I believe, on the roster in the defense. Maybe someone like Kelly Ross. You know, there hasn't been a significant injury in the defensive backfield, but he's an example of like, if you don't play these guys, you have no idea like what you can get out of them. We, we saw what happened on the offensive line, like you mentioned, when Schumann goes down. Schumann might be out for a little bit. What are you going to do? I mean, I, I have a couple ideas. I, I think you could see. Maybe Chris Brown moving from left guard to right tackle, and then Voorhees mm-hmm. going to left guard. I think Voorhees maybe isn't ready to play tackle right now. Promising freshman throwing a tough spot, but had a hard time. I, I think he probably has to play inside. Maybe you put him at left guard. Um, the other idea that I had, but I don't think I don't think you do this right now because it would be. Such a, a shift would be if you put Brown at right tackle, Toa at left guard, and then Austin Jackson at left tackle. Uh, you make this point to me. Uh, I'm going to take it. Go for it. But if, if they're throwing Voorhees out in front of Jackson, and then that's what Voorhees is right now, then you're probably not playing Jackson yet.
1: Yeah, I, I can't imagine he's ready if, if that's what happened. You know, if that's the strategy they went with, and it went that way. Um,
0: But if you don't play guys at all, like, again, they don't have to play the bulk of the game, but if they don't get any significant time, especially in the first half, I think you're you're playing with fire. I think it's very dangerous, and I just don't get it. I mean, I, I keep coming back to the point that Sean Cody made to us. Uh, a couple times about how he came off the field. He's All-American, mind you, who played from day one as a freshman. He would come off the field throughout his career every third or fourth series. And he played in a, with a four-man front. And they would all come off. Him, Mike Patterson, BKU, they all came off the field. All-Americans came off the field. And these starters can't come off the field?
1: Well let me ask you something too. Is this only on defense or is this, do you see this kinda of go over to offense too? And yeah. let me tell you t- yeah, it's okay, receiver. I'm glad you see we it see a exactly. Exactly. This is the point I was gonna bring up because the backfield seems like one of the best position groups on the team.
0: And yeah. they rotate it's and convenient. they play a bunch of people, it's yes. you're not gonna give Rojo thirty five carries. So you're gonna have a number two who ended up being a star in Steven Carr. Yeah. So you play both of them and they've distributed the carries pretty well. Except again, they've telegraphed with Vavai. But yeah. that's I guess a little bit of nitpicking there. But sure, they they they've run that accordingly. You don't rotate your quarterback. Um you don't really want to rotate your lineman unless you you know, there's an injury. Okay, that's fine. You play them at the end of blowouts. They have done that. It's just hard. They're in a tough spot with that when you you lose a guy, then you have to play a freshman. That's just a tough spot. I'm not necessarily putting that on the coaches. But at tight end? Why is Tyler Piquet playing the entire game? Yeah. Why is Jalen Green playing the entire game?
1: Well why are any of the
0: receivers other than Dion K Burnett playing the entire game?
1: What's frustrating to me about the receivers too is that USC, You, I've heard uh, the players talk about it, I've heard the coaches talk about it, I've heard the recruits talk about it, is they send off this message that they play a bunch of receivers and rotate them, and it's not happening. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like they say they do this, too, and they don't, and I don't get why not, because I would get it if Jalen Green was a superstar, right? But... You know why? Why aren't you playing, uh, you know, Joseph Lewis more? What What could go wrong? That's why I don't understand. It's 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 not like if he's in there, the receiving core is going to be really bad all of a sudden. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I don't get it. I just yeah. don't even understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I I would like to see more rotating from them. I think it would benefit them. Uh, Throughout the season and later in the season when they have these injuries, you know, uh, which are coming later, I mean, they will get banged up more uh, and they're going to eventually play some really high end teams, you know, maybe this season, maybe in the postseason, who knows, but it's eventually going to happen. And gosh, you'd think you'd want to have everybody below the starters ready.
0: Okay. well, Uh, I learned a little bit about this this past week. I had a good conversation with Tyson Hilton, and he enlightened me as to why we're not seeing as much rotation as we anticipated among the receivers. He made the point that because of Sam Darnold's style of play and the way that he can extend plays and buy himself time, the receivers are taught to where they have a route, they have an assigned route, and then they look, and if the ball's not in the air, and a place still going, they're taught to break off the direction that they're going in and run to an open area. It's kind of like a like a delayed hot route. Now it's a bit complicated. You know, it's something that you see more of in the NFL. And so with these young receivers, there a lot of them are still trying to pick up the initial assignment. Now, it, it's kind of a catch-22 because if they're never playing, then how are they going to learn? They have to play. So I get why maybe it would be rationed, but I think it's been too too limited. There mm-hmm. needs to be more. And here's the other thing. Okay, newsflash I this. We think the world of Darnold. I know that he can extend plays as good as almost anybody, except he's been pressured at, at a degree that he had not last year. He's getting hit. He got beat up in that Texas game. He's never been yeah. hit like that before. Nope. He got sacked three times for the first time in his career. He's already been sacked six times on a year. Do you remember how many times he got sacked all of last year?
1: I'm guessing it was six.
0: It was six. He's already, be, he's already reached that in three games. I mean, people are defending him differently, of course. I think a part of it is him probably seeing the field a little bit better, being a little bit more comfortable in the pocket, not having a, a quick of a trigger to run the ball because he's capable of running. But I think a year ago, especially when he got the job initially, he would flee he flee a little little bit earlier than maybe he had to because he could, and it was positive, but because maybe he didn't really know everything that he could do and, and let things develop the way that they could. So now he's sitting back there a little bit more, and he's by no means a statue, but he's trying to throw the ball more, and with this receiving core, it might not be the best strategy I think you play the young kids and you gotta get the ball out a little bit quicker. And you can get them on their initial route. And I think with people like Joseph Lewis and Tyler Vaughn, because of their size, they can win these 50-50s. They might not win them immediately, okay? It it might be a little bit rough sledding. Like say, we're talking about the Cal game this upcoming weekend. And the first half, it might be a little bit clunky. But if they're both available, I mean, Lewis was coming, you know, had a bit of an injury, got pulled in the last game. I, I don't think it's significant. But let's say he's fine and Vaughn's fine. I'd be playing them as much as possible right now. They should have already been playing, but you play them now and I think it'll blossom. It'll blossom, I think, even within the game. I think Donald's that good. I think they're that good that. This can happen quickly with them. But it's not going to happen if you throw them out there, you know, once every other drive for a play or two. Look at the end of overtime. Tyler Vaughn nearly made a spectacular catch. Some people called it a drop. I wouldn't even go that far, okay? I mean, that's a a professional catch right there. So I, I know he didn't make it. He came very close to making it. It looked like he might have made it initially, but upon further review, the ground helped him secure the ball. It hit the ground. He didn't catch it. You know what, though? Darnold makes that throw to him. He's, he's fearless in doing that. He'll make that throw again to him. Maybe he catches him next time. Maybe he doesn't. But then you keep making that throw to him, he's going to make that play. I guarantee it. Oh, so, yeah. Darnold's already there. He's already ready to make that throw in overtime. Like, I'll make the throw to Tyler Vaughn, who he's targeted, I think, like, up until that point, like, five times the whole year, because Vaughn hasn't played very much.
1: Well, the other thing that I think of, because my biggest takeaway from this game was the receivers, because I felt like the defense played so well, and even though they shut down the run game, I just felt like, you know, if Sam Darnold made this play, this play, this play, or basically if his receivers did, I don't know if that game's close all of a sudden. Yeah. They might be a completely different team if they had a higher, you know, if these receivers grow or get to a higher level or whatever you want to call it. They could be unstoppable because maybe you shut down their run game and it just doesn't matter.
0: Well, it, know, but which, they wouldn't, is, they, but it wouldn't go. I mean, they would have run much more effectively.
1: Yeah, oh, the, probably that too. You're right. You're right because sure. there would be more threat of the past. So that's true. But I, I'm just – it just seems like you're right on because if you if you help these receivers grow and play in, you know, real college football games or whatever else, your team like but could be so different by the end of the year. And, may, you know, maybe you get there anyway. Maybe you get go undefeated, get to the Pac-12 title game or whatever anyway. But it's about that moment, you know. Are you prepared to win that championship game, to go to the playoffs, to make a push, to win the national championship? And with the receivers right now, the answer looks like no, yeah, when they get to that moment,
0: yeah,
1: and they need to work on that. And that's that's the biggest thing that really, to me, that really is the special teams. Maybe, but special teams kind of secondary in all of this anyway. Yeah, because the defense played so well, and we know what Sam Darnold is. We know what that backfield is, and while that offensive line did struggle when healthy, they did look very good against Stanford. So when well, they and were they were throwing
0: so much. And that, yes. that was a big part of it. I mean, I know what you're talking about, and we know Andrew Bordy, right throw him in there. It, it didn't go well, but Texas also knew. I mean, they were daring them to throw, and USC kept throwing. USC ran for, I have it right here, they ran for five yards uh, after halftime. Wow. Five, and, and they ran 13 times. Not very much for the amount of plays that they ran. They averaged 1.9 yards per rush for the game. That's inexcusable when you got Rojo and Carr. They came in averaging 7.8 yards per carry combined. In this game, they were held to 2.7. I think a lot of that goes back to how Texas defended them and basically sold out on the run. Which... Who, who wants to sell out on the run when Sam Darnold's at quarterback? That it that wouldn't seem crazy. to be right. That, that wouldn't seem to be the best strategy to take. Like we're gonna make Sam Darnold beat us, and yeah. yet and yet USC was held scoreless for 17 minutes 40 seconds in the first half. That right there was the longest stretch that they had not scored while Darnold was the starting quarterback. And then it was 29-59 in the second half. It was the entire half other than the final second, the game-winning, or the game tying field goal, excuse me. Yeah. It should never be shut up for a half. And they really, they were shut up for three out of four quarters in, in the game. That should never happen. No.
1: It shouldn't. And it, they didn't make Sam Darnold beat them. They, they made USC's receivers beat them. That's yeah. what they well, That's what they were doing.
0: And USC did, I mean... Again, Darnold threw for nearly 400 yards. They did move the ball. They couldn't score in the red zone. They got one touchdown on their four trips. They came away with 10 points total. Why is that? Because the <laughs> because receivers, they don't have the yes. red zone threat. Yeah. They, they badly miss Daniel Matabebe. But I, I think they're also just missing the guys on the sideline that are available.
1: Yeah, I think they missed Carrie Angeline, who's six nine or whatever. He's yeah. like eight feet tall. Right. It's like throw that kid the ball in the red mm-hmm. zone, why don't you? So
0: Yeah. And Joseph Willis, six two. Rangle Grimes, who looks like he's red shirting, six foot four. Yeah. Tyler Vaughn, six two. Long. You know, like long, maybe the longest arm of, of any of the guys. And look how high that throw is at the back of the end zone at the end of the game.
1: Yeah. Their starting receivers right now I think are like five ten, five ten, and five ten.
0: Jalen Green's not short.
1: No. No, he's a bit taller. He's he's over six feet tall, but it just I don't know, it just it just seems like they could try some different things in the red zone. Um, I have to ask you though. Yeah. Because I made the joke early, you know, right off the bat. I'm not even sure if you you caught it as a joke, much like I didn't catch your joke. But uh, that everything's good in USC land, the message boards, everybody's happy. Really what's going on is it seems like there's a fierce debate right now between the sunshine pumpers, as they are called, and the doom and gloomers. Uh, Between everything's okay... And it's fine, and this is normal, and everything's fine, and this is not okay, and it's not normal, and everything could end up badly, and everything could end up terribly. What are you kind of thinking right now? Because it seems like you know we've been kind of going back and forth. After that Western Michigan game, we went one way. After the Stanford game, it seems like we went another way. Do you still feel as, as positive as you do after the Stanford game, or do you are you kind of back in that Western Michigan camp? Where, where are you kind? Of, where are you right now with this team, Adamaya?
0: I think I'm back where I started coming oh, wow. into the year where I think they have the schedule and the quarterback to run the table or go 11-1 and one. but I don't know if they have the maturity if they can play with the consistency <laughs> if they're going to have the gap to actually get there or, or fall to 10-2 because the opener was a losable game. Even though I never thought they were going to lose while it was happening, and they ended up winning by 18, they were tied in the fourth quarter. Yep. This game, they were losing at the end of the fourth quarter. Yeah. Now, I, I did a little bit of research on that, because I knew that it had been rare for them to be in that spot with Darnold. And I kind of forgotten this, that they hadn't trailed in the fourth quarter of any game, other than Penn State, the Rose Bowl. And, but in their... They've had 12 regular season games with Darnold as starting quarterback. And they trailed for the final 16 seconds of the first one versus Utah last September, a year ago. And then he went 10 straight games where they were winning, in the tied or winning in for every second of the fourth quarter. And then this game they trailed for forty four seconds in the fourth quarter. And then they tag game in the final second of the fourth quarter. So that's one minute that they've been trailing with Darnold at quarterback. Out of a hundred and eighty minutes.
1: That's crazy.
0: One out of one eighty. That's how good he is. So, That's
1: it's
0: unbelievable. So if you're asking me about what's coming next, I feel like I'm not confident in, in them winning out, but I'm not picking against Sam Darnold. I'm just not going to do it. I, yeah. I thought that he was going to lead them to the game-winning touchdown, despite the fact that they've been shut out the entire half. I still thought he will do it. He's going he's gonna to win the game right now. And when they ended up getting stopped, I pretty much chalked it up to the fact that, that you know, Mitchell made the mistake and getting out of bounds. And that he, he basically kind of burned their opportunity right there. But because he made a great play at the same time. It was kind of yeah. a, a bittersweet play where, okay, uh, he moved them down the field and now they're set up for a pretty nice field goal.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you picked that answer because I'm going to borrow that answer if I feel where I was before the season because before the season I did say I don't think they have a national championship roster they have Sam Darnold and that could work out well for them Mm -hmm. that's that's how I feel uh right now but I will say this uh because I see this this debate and uh you know raging on the message boards and I think that even if your goal for this team is you know win the national title go undefeated or something like that I'd say take a deep breath and that I think things will be okay um and this is why is that I still look back to that Stanford game I know Stanford lost to San Diego State that has a lot of people concerned quick note San Diego State is like a bowl eligible Pac-12 team this year they're that good uh so I look at Stanford and I think that's probably a bowl eligible Pac-12 team. At the end of the day, they handled them in such a way that felt like a national title contender. That's what it felt like to me. Even if Stanford is seven and five, mm-hmm. a national title contender beats a seven and five team that way, and mm-hmm. most other teams don't. Let's just be honest. Yeah, I know the first they could easily be one and two. I get that. They were trailing, you know, against what or they were tied with Western Michigan trailing in this game. And I know that, you know, people a lot of people will tell us to look at maybe the second half of the Western Michigan game. We'll look at the second half of the Texas game, right? Lots yeah. of red flags. Lots of red flags. But they are three and out. I know that sounds silly. I right, I know that seems a little bit ridiculous, but it means something. They found a way to beat Texas, and that is what national title teams do. I know it seems silly, Maryland beat Texas, right? Maryland put 50 on Texas. I get it. They still won that game, a game that they could have easily lost. They have won two games that they could have easily lost. So I am banking on Sam Darnold, like you are, and that I don't think he's gonna lose himself. I'm also banking on regular growth throughout the rest of the regular season. Because I've seen things like this happen before. That two thousand four national title team started off with you know some tight performances, uh, you know against Virginia Tech. They they went to Stanford, not a good Stanford team. They almost lost that game. Yeah. You know, I've seen this before, so I'm not ready, even as somebody that you know has hit the panic button before and said like, oh, they're not going to be good. They're not going to you know whatever. I've I've made comments before. I'm not ready to do it yet because they won. I expected them to blow out Texas. I expected them to blow out Western Michigan. But they won that game. If they had lost, I'd be ready to sell them uh, and just say no. But they won. And then I look at the rest of this schedule. I even think of their offensive line is banged up. They're going to be able to run the ball on most everyone they play, even if they sell out to stop the run. I truly believe that. It's the Pac-12, and and while it's a good conference the very bottom of the conference cannot compete with USC in the trenches, even the second-team USC players. It's not going to happen. There might be some close games. Maybe they do lose one. Maybe they do lose two. But take a deep breath because you are if you're listening to this podcast, you're a fan of USC, a great program, and it seems like there's an incredible chance that they're going to win at least ten games, that they're going to play in a special bowl game, and it feels much, much different than it did a few years ago when it felt like the program was flailing and there was, you know, not much hope. So
0: mm. I'd say I'd say
1: take a deep breath. <laughs> I really do. I really do. You know what,
0: man? Fair or not, I think that they have to get to the Final Four. I feel like that's, like, the bottom right now. If they don't make the Final Four, it'll be a major disappointment.
1: But that's because of Sam Darnold.
0: Yeah. Though. Yeah, because he ain't coming back.
1: I get it. I get it. But I just look at this roster. I look at what they've gone through in recent memory. I know they won the Rose Bowl last year. I get that. But I get why you'd be disappointed when you have an all-generation quarterback if you don't win it all in your USC. It feels like that's when it should happen and it's a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity or whatever. But would it really be so bad if they were just a top-ten team? You know what I mean? I feel like that's certain. I feel like these fans should be happy. That's really... I'm just I'm just throwing this out there. I mean, I, I, I'm not
0: going to tell them what they should be. I'm just telling okay. you what they will be. They're not going to be happy if they don't make the Final Four.
1: Oh, okay. I'm just telling d- take a deep breath. I think there's still a good shot. And even if it doesn't happen, I think USC's going to have a good football team this year.
0: Yeah. So I'd
1: say take a deep breath. That's all. That's my message. Well, we, we already message. knew that, that, that That event.
0: Anything new? We already knew that. You knew they weren't going eight and four.
1: I think though that after this Texas game, some people started to question how they're going to finish. I know they're not going to go eight and four, but I think you know, right? With the reaction, with the way you know people firing the coach and <laughs> you know, I, I'm serious. It, see, it seemed to me like the message they were split of. Sure, you know you the that out, man. Out. Man. Okay, yeah. It's just a message. These are our readers. It's a message. Those readers. Yeah. give it some time it's fanatical
0: okay I'm aware but this team wasn't going in in four with, with Darnold healthy that's a caveat of course they're not going in four but if they go 10 and two and end up in a, a New Year's Six Bowl but not the Rose Bowl people aren't going to be happy that's not good enough
1: So so does that does that put like Helton? I know he's not gonna be out on a hot seat, no. right? But like, what does that do to him? You feel like well, does this okay. kind of continue where it's this like every week? Yeah.
0: So if they don't win this year, and then Darnold believes like I can fully expect him to, then it might take a couple years before they're in this position to win a national title. And and then it, people get antsy, right? It's like oh, we we kind of blew that opportunity in 2017 when we had the best player in America at quarterback, and now you know we're we're nine and three, or we're ten and two every year, or maybe even you know we eleven and one, and we lost the Pac-12 title game, or or we won the Pac-12 title game, but we're not in the final four. Or, you know, losing the final four, whatever. I mean, you gotta win the national championship at USC, and it's really hard to do. I'm not. I'm not acting like if he doesn't, he's a failure. I'm just saying that if he doesn't, then the clock is ticking. That's the way it works here.
1: Yeah, he no, knows that. True.
0: He he knows. That. I mean, it's funny. I I'm walking off the field and. I see Lynn Swan walk by me, swiftly. He because
1: he knows you. He
0: got it straight out right here. not want to talk to me? No, but we didn't make eye contact. I just saw him walk by, but walked right by. He's serious, and his wife looked at him, and I so I'm looking at her face, and he his back to me, and her. her I mean, it, it spoke a thousand words. It was like, really. <laughs> It it was not good enough. Because I think, I'm reading into this, but I think they probably came away uh, feeling like the way we do. Where if it's going to be like this in this game, then what's around the corner? What's next? This game didn't exactly inspire a lot of confidence in them moving forward. In terms of winning a national title. No. And in Lin Swan, I think his standards are different than Pat Hayden's were.
1: I agree. So... You can tell with his comments earlier. Yeah.
0: So, now's the time. Yeah, they're going to be good. They're they're not going to be bad. They're going to be very good. They'll probably be great. Except great is defined in a whole different light at USC. And this isn't... 2010 you know Lin Swan doesn't care that they don't have a full deck of seniors and red shirt seniors I think that matters I think that that cripples them to some extent but he doesn't care about that I think that if they don't win the national title if they don't get at least the final four it'll be a disappointment and if they're in the final 4 then you got to win the national title. <laughs>
1: yeah, right? Right. Yeah. That's funny. Now, I want, I want to put you on the spot. Okay. What are you trending towards right now with your feelings of, are they going to make the Final Four? Where are you trending right now? I know you think it's, it's up in the air or that they'll be close or, you know, whatever. but Yeah.
0: I, I think that in that regard, it, it's probably a matter of health. This bye is going to become a bigger deal than I thought it would be.
1: Yeah, me too. I
0: I thought it was nice to have it before the Pac-12 title game. Whatever. I think they would love to have it right now before they go on the road back-to-back weeks. Or even between. Maybe after Cal, before Washington State, whatever. They need that bye week. They're not getting it. They're banged up. I think health can kind of do them in. Now, health isn't as much of a factor in Game 1, or really not at all, and in Game 2, a little bit more. Game 3, a little bit... It just kind of increases each week, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, we're in Week 4. It already feels like a factor. I think it was the receivers this past week. I think they were the biggest factor. Now, I'm looking at nine more games, and I'm thinking it, it might be health that holds them back. But if they're healthy enough, then I don't think they're losing more than one game. And I think that they can afford the one loss. The timing would, might matter a little bit. A lot of people were hung up in the polls and you know, USC dropping. It's all relevant right now. It's in September. Yep. It means nothing. Just be undefeated. And you can finish 12-0 and look ugly week in and week out. And it's not going to matter. They're not going to judge you like yeah. they do Western Michigan. So, if USC's undefeated, then it, they could win every game by a point in overtime. That doesn't yeah. matter. So, if they lose a game, it would it would kind of matter when it happens and to whom it happens to. But if they're eleven and one and they're playing for the Pac twelve title game. Winning, you're in, and that's where I expect them to be.
1: So you they, expect them to have one loss going into the Pac-12 title? Yeah, that's and what you're they might be
0: 12 and 0. Okay. Um, I don't think they'll be 10 and 2. I think they'll be 11 and 1 uh, at worst. crap. Okay. Yeah, and if they weren't, it's because of health.
1: Okay. I, I'm with you right there. I honestly, I still expect them to go undefeated this season. Uh, and I still think they have a great chance to win the national title. Uh, I know, you know, I know this game wasn't—it uh, wasn't the game to draw a lot of confidence from people. But I'm banking on growth throughout the season uh, at, at, at receiver and you know maybe a few other positions. And I'm banking on the fact that nobody's going to be able to stop them on this schedule. And I think that this game, people will look back on this game and just think, oh, off night." You know, obviously there are tons of problems in this game, but there always are in these games, and eventually everyone forgets about them. I cannot remember one person that brought up, will ever bring up thirty-one twenty-eight against Stanford in two thousand four. No, it'll never happen again. So, I, I, I think they'll go undefeated. I even think if they're banged up, I mean, there's only a couple. There's really only a couple games left that I really think they're gonna, they could have a trouble. And, you know, in those games,
0: Notre so. Dame, for
1: sure, Notre, Notre Dame, for sure. They lo- I think they lost to Georgia. I'm pretty sure, but they're still going to be good. They're still going to have, you know, physical guys up front or whatever. Yeah. And that's kind of the game that's sticking out because if Texas can do what they did, maybe Notre Dame can do it. But that's the one, I mean, that's the one that, and that's on the road. So that'll be tough. But I really, you know, I still think everybody should keep high expectations, stay patient and don't worry about the polls, like you said, because uh, I can't remember the last time USC was undefeated and not ranked number one, and I can't remember the last time they had one loss and were, was ranked outside the top four. So yeah, they'll get in the playoffs if they have the record.
0: I have an update for everybody. Um, Clay Helton just held his weekly Sunday teleconference and a couple injury reports. Porter Augustine has a strained bicep. There was a fear that he'd be a tear. But he could be out for, quote-unquote, an extended period of time. Ooh. Clay called him 50-50 at best for the Cal game. Uh, if he might be out for an extended period, then I'm, I'm calling him doubtful at best for the Cal game. And then okay. Rojo, he got a little nicked up in that game as well. Um, nursing... Better than ankle injury Thigh bruise We'll see how that limits him Moving forward Ajana Harris Has a knee sprain Rasheen Green High ankle sprain That means that He'll be out for At least a couple weeks That could go two to four weeks Health man Yeah
1: it's building up. I'm still telling you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, it does, actually. It does. <laughs> but I think, they'll, I think they'll get through it. I just think they'll get through it. I look at the schedule. I think they'll get through it. But we'll see. That's what's fun with watching the season. That's why they play all the games. That's why we're here to cover it all. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. All right. All right. Well, that's our show. Thank you so much for uh, for tuning in and joining us. If you're not a member of Trojansports.com, make sure to sign up, usc.rivals.com slash sign underscore up. You get all of Adam J. great coverage. You get all my great recruiting coverage. You can read the latest on injuries that Adam just told you with Sunday with Helton that's being posted right now. And, uh, yeah. We hope that you're on there and checking out all of our content and a part of our family. And even if you're not, we're so appreciative that you listen to the podcast. And we, uh, we hope you're back next week. So for Adam Maya, I'm Chris Swanson. And I'll leave you with that. Good night. Enjoy your weekend. And uh, hopefully positive things to come.
0: Kiki FN.
1: Ta-ta for now.
0: Thank you for telling them that. Well, That's how Tigger always ended it. Yeah, I'm sure they all call Winnie the Pooh.